dude you i i gotta i i think i've told you this before but you are like the ultimate like road comic dude like oh no is that a compliment or a, a, are you disparaging me no but it, no i i mean it in a good way because i wish oh, i was dude, you're, you i don't know anyone else that does these funny bones heliums like you have the corporate comedy clubs like on lock you know yeah and, hashtag career feature that's me but you know what? Who can who care? You're still making a living doing comedy. Like, I don't know anyone. Like, do you know anyone like you? That can you give me any names that, that are doing all the funny uh, bones, all the heliums? Uh, I'm sure there's people out there like, you know, Cody Woods is a guy that comes to mind. He works a lot. Um, yeah, true. You know, be, be, before the pandemic, you know, somebody like this guy named Justin Leon out of uh, Kansas City was a guy who worked a lot. Mm-hmm. Tom Dustin is another guy I know who works a bunch. He's I've out of Florida. Him. He's yeah. out of Florida. He's pretty funny. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Like, it just, uh, yeah, I've been fortunate, and it's fun. And I know, you know, I'm professional, and I think I'm funny enough to get asked to come back, and, you know, they have me back. I also yeah. have the luxury of, like, being able to travel at a pretty low cost. So I think that helps me as well. Like, there's, I don't need to turn down gigs because I'm not going to make money or I can't afford to get to the place. Like, I right. can afford I can afford to get to the places because I have a pretty good travel situation. What's so, uh, what's what such as that? I got some flight benefits on a, on a on a couple of different airlines. Papa knows how to hustle the flight benefits, so. <laughs> Wait, teach me, bro. I want to, cause like, uh, that, I get that's offered a very- all the time, and it's like, wait, I, I'm I'm a feature too, so it's like I'll, I'll I'll fly out there, and that's it. I lost my money for the gig. Yeah, I think. Uh, I mean, there's nothing really to teach. You just gotta find somebody who works for the airlines, who's willing to put you on their flight benefits. Right, 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 right. And I know how to treat people, and I know how to. So you know, I've had people who have extended, and then I've rewarded. Not necessarily financially or sexually, but mostly <laughs> sexually. And he was rough, you know. So, uh, but yeah, that's it. so. I think that helps. Uh, yeah, and then uh, you know, I sell merch and stuff, and so it's always like sometimes taking the gig is about just get into the place so that you can sell your merch. And I yeah. do well with I do well with the merch. So I don't know. Been luck. Been fortunate. At a good club, like like I was at Side Splitters when I uh, when we reconnected, and like I I doubled my money on merch, dude. It's such a it's such a big goddamn deal, dude. And yeah, it helps a lot. For me, it's like, you know, it's it's so hard to like. Sometimes it's hard to like justify, like, oh, well, I'm going out there because you're getting a hundred dollars a show. Maybe you do five six shows, but then with the flight cost of living, and you know, if they give you a hotel, that's that's great. But like a lot of times, you're making out with what like like maybe like a couple hundred bucks at the end of the weekend. And I try to like justify like, you know, I'm going there, I'm working on my act. If I get my jokes better, if I become better as a comic, there's some monetary um, compensation there down the line. I'll sell my merch. I'll bring my camera. I'll record it. If I can get like a snippet of me killing, put it on the Instagrams, the social medias and what have you, you know, they can get like a hundred thousand views and, you know, people might want to come out and build a fan base. So there's not, there's more, money to each gig than just like the actual what you're going to get paid you know yeah so you're saying like sometimes you just it's like investing in yourself you know when you do when you do some of these uh you know for me i'm in a different place i just i want to make a living and i just want to 
I want to eat. I don't care about all that other stuff. <laughs> so, you know, I need to go out there. And I won't take the gig if, you know, they're not hooking me up with a hotel. But again, I've been pretty fortunate in that, like, you know, uh, we just did, I just did Austin, Texas, and we did four shows at a venue. And it was like one of their first handful of shows back. And, you know, I was working with a guy who's really f- generous. And he was like, hey, we're in a cool city, so we're going to stay at a nice hotel. And we, I, like, we stayed at the W, you know what I mean? And it's just like, oh, shit, it's pretty, like, so, I, so all of those things kind of, like, I have, like, a level of fortune that I think always seems to follow me around. And, uh, right. you know, I, you know I'm, I'm always grateful for it. Now, let me ask you this. So you do work with a lot of, like, really big-name comics. Like, you opened for Drew Lynch, Theo Vaughn. Who were you with this week? Josh Wolf, right? Yeah, I was with Josh Wolf this weekend. Josh Wolf, Chris Porter. I mean, these are like really like heavy hitter comics. And they literally will text you like, um, dude, if you see I have a date, you assume it's yours, you know? Yeah. And like for me, it's like I've opened for a couple of like I opened for um, a Damon Wayne's. I opened for Joey Diaz the other night. And it's like and Kevin Farley is a guy, Lynn Coplitz. But it's like I still don't feel that like that way about it like they're always like they never like i feel like they never go out of their way to get me on their show and sometimes i think like am i just a weird hang or like am i just yeah you're, you're hard to be around yeah so, I, I, I i think so <laughs> no so, i just think uh i think you know like all of the people that i'm traveling around with or who are like you know i have the fortune of being a bit older you know yeah. like and like so i don't i get the sense the that they don't feel like they need to babysit me. Not that they feel like they need to babysit you by any means, but you're a younger comic. And I think that there's a stereotype on younger comics, you know, so you have to kind of fight that a bit. You know, you have to like be mindful yeah. of the, you have to be mindful of the drinking, you know, you gotta be mindful of like the weed smoke, like all of these little things kind of like play into like how comfortable someone would feel bringing you back out. Like I don't drink too much. I'll have like a beer or two at night. I don't smoke the weed, you know, I'm not like, reckless or irresponsible i'm not like treating the staff weird so you know to bring me around is just like and i'm funny so -hmm. like to bring me around is like oh shit i'm gonna bring this guy kenny he's gonna be professional he's gonna be on time i never gotta worry about him he seems to know everybody in every city so he's a you know he's got a good hookup and hangs and shit like that and and he's gonna do well on stage and uh yeah and then I, i know he's just gonna leave me alone you know so like when i travel I'm not insisting on the hang, you know, I'm open for the hang. I like the hang with these guys, but I also just kind of leave them alone and give them their space if they want it. You know, I'm not like pestering them for, you know, Hey, let's, what do you think about this joke? You want to have a little writing session here? You know, I'm more like, Hey, do you want to go for a walk? I'm about to go hit this hiking trail. You want to come? And they're like, no. And then I'm like, bye. I see you later. Yeah. You know? So it's just like, I think all those little things over time help build up a trust that, you know, uh, I'm not, I'm just not going to be annoying if they bring yeah. me around. I'm not, I'm not going to be, I'm, I think I'm going to add value to the weekend if they have me come. And I think that they've all grown to appreciate that. And, uh, yeah, it works well for me. So you don't, you don't really try too hard to like, uh, be their buddy. Like you said, like you just leave them alone. If they want to hang, they hang. That's kind of what I do. Like, I don't ask people like, like, 
Kevin Farley will like keeps taking me out to dinner, but I don't I don't ask for it. Like it'll just be like you know I will just be sitting there. Like I, I I'm I'm scared of the headliners. Like I just don't want to bother them. I don't want to say anything that might piss them off. So I just try to do my job and 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 that's it. And like you know if they go, hey, you want to go out or hey, you want to get a drink, then I'd go. But I never ask to to do anything. Yeah, but, I mean I, I'm the same way. Like I'll you know I also like adult things. You know so like. You know, if we want to go watch a baseball game or a basketball game, yeah, that works. I'm also like, I think I've always been good at just being a normal person around anyone. And so I think that's like really helped me as I've like gotten into comedy. You know, some guys are a really big deal and some guys aren't. And I think everybody thinks that they're a, a big deal. I think that I'm a big deal. <laughs> and so, you know, you just kind of treat everybody the same. You know, like you, you go and you're like, yo, do you have fun on stage? Cool. And then they'll be like, yo, we thought of this. And then you just talk to them the way that you would any comedy peer. You'd be like, yeah, you know, maybe you could have did this or, you know, I, whatever. I'm like, all I really care about is like, yo, did you have fun? Cool. You know, my job when I get to the, when I'm on stage is to try to get them hot for the yeah. dude. I know, I know how to serve the show. I think all of these little things are important. I don't try to like ever steal, you know, no, the, the no. show from them. Yeah. Uh, nor do I like necessarily even feel like I'm capable of stealing the show for that. I work with some pretty like heavy hitters, you know? So like, and like, I think more than anything, I've worked with people who are like just really secure people. And so I'm a secure person. And I think when you just have that mix, you know, yeah. you just, you just go, you do the show as best you can and then you, you get your money and you go home. Yeah. No, I think that's a good way. And maybe for me, it's just like, I haven't ran into someone that, you know, I, I, I'm always in my own head. So I'm always thinking like, oh, like maybe I, I, I said something on stage that they didn't like, or maybe like, um, I'm not cool enough, or maybe I don't smoke weed and they smoke weed. And they're like, I need someone you know, to smoke weed. But I think it's just a matter of like, they probably aren't even thinking about it. They're probably just like, oh, this guy's nice. He's here. And, uh, you know, they just don't go out of their, their way about it. And I guess at some point I would like, cause you told me it's like the best way to get in about these clubs. is like, you, the best way is to have someone bring you along with them, you know? Yeah. Especially now, like when I first got passed with the funny bones, as you well know, they have like 14, 15 clubs. Yeah. I got, I got passed with them like five years ago and they were working me like, you know, 20 weekends a year. And th that's how many, that's how much room was available to have features just coming in from around the country. Yeah. And then like, you know, a year or two before the pandemic, you know, I was getting one or two weekends, you know, everybody was bringing their own, you know, so like, yeah. And, I, and what happens is like, as the guys are getting bigger and their podcasts are exploding, they kind of want to travel with someone because, uh, you know, that person who they're bringing is going to help them with more than just featuring on the show. That person is going to help them film their podcast. That person is going to help them sell mm. their merch. And uh, I've and helped be, be their friend, you know, on the road. It's lonely on the road. Sure, it is. Yeah. It gets a little bit lonely. But I've, I've worked with guys who are mostly loners, which is nice because I'm kind of a loner. Uh, so like, you know, like, yeah, I think that's where I've kind of connected with some people. Like they just kind of like being alone. Yeah. And uh, if they need help with the stuff, I'm more than willing to help. You know, I recognize that that's an important part of featuring now. Yeah. It's like, yeah, if they got some merch, you got to, not that you have to, but it's good. I, and I also like helping. It helps me connect with the crowd after the show, mm -hmm. you know? And again, I like being a team player, so I'll help them with their shit. You know, I try to sell my stuff. Sometimes the people will be like, hey, if you're going to sell my merch, I'll just pay you. And then they'll pay more than what I would have made 
on the merch. Yeah. You know, so, uh, so yeah. I think, I, yeah, go ahead. No, you go ahead. No, I think you're right. Like, now that I'm thinking about, like, I remember you told me a guy named Ari, he, like, did someone, uh, Theo's podcast, right? He produced it. Yeah, like, but he's, like, he's, like, also an incredible comic. Like, yeah. He's, he's, like, he's, but he's got, like, the fortune of just being as good at comedy as he is at, like, producing content. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, like, he's, like, extra valuable, you know, to someone like Theo or to whoever else he might be working with. But he's also building to become a headliner himself. Like, he's right. very, very funny. He works a bunch. And, uh, I think just you know, in can help. It can help you, like, like my my buddy Dan Carney, who's opening for Tim Dale now. Yeah. I think he was uh, helping Tim with his pocket. He was just a producer and like, just like uh, sometimes they would film. And then I think Dan was like a kind of a no name person on the podcast. Like you would see him, but he wouldn't speak, you know, Tim would just go on his rants. But uh, Dan's a really dedicated, uh, hardworking comic comic. And I think like um, at a certain point, they had to spend so much time together through the podcast producing. And then he found out he did a comedy. Then maybe he saw his sets and he's like, Oh, I'm just going to, and they connected like, Oh, I'm just going to bring this guy on the road with me. And now like, Best, yeah, you know, but you know, Dan's got to be careful too because if you know you got all your eggs in one basket, and then for whatever reason Tim decides he wants to take that basket away, Dan has to start all all the way over. You know what I'm saying? But it's a good basket That's a to good be point. a part of. That's a good point. I mean, it's better than having no basket. It's a pretty good basket now. I I saw their uh, tour they're doing. It's like going into May, and they're going to be in like a, literally like I think 15 different. Uh, well, you know, I mean, it's uh, what he. I would hope that he would do which you know he's smart and i hope that he's already thinking about it like he needs to start cultivating relationships with the clubs outside of tim yeah you know because like that's where i was able to kind of get more and more work i would a guy would bring me to a place i would do well um and then be well enough that they would bring me back again right you know to to work with someone else that had a opening or a fit yeah uh, and like you know and then you end up meeting someone else and then you know, maybe from that you meet another person and, you know, you get more work in this industry from your peers than you do from like the gatekeepers. They, everybody thinks the gatekeepers are like the bookers and the industry execs, but really in the grand scheme of things, it's, it's other comedians. They're the ones who are recommending you for shit. They're the ones who will get in your work. So. Yeah. Dude, there's, this is a perfect example that it's like, um, it all starts from one place. Like I used to, when I was really new, I used to cold email clubs and one club, the first club that really booked me to feature was the Comedy Works in Saratoga Springs, which I'm sure you've done. Yeah, I've actually never up. done that place. Oh, it's 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 a well, it's yeah, not open out, but it's a it's a fun. I've heard club. it's great. Yeah, I've heard. And I've opened from there at that club. I've opened for this guy Eric McMahon, who just got me into Uncle Vinny's, which is where I was just um, playing, opening for Joey Diaz, and I've opened for Lynn Coplitz, who got me in the Side Splitters, and um. You know, working for um, Eric got me and Uncle Vinny's and I'm working with Diaz and I'm working with these other comics who are going to recommend me to others places. And then I work, you know, um, again, the side splitters. I work open for Kevin Farley, who now, you know, likes me and has me open for all his other gigs. So it's yeah, it's almost like this, like it all starts at one place and it's kind of like that Venn, not Venn diagram, but like that kind of that tree of like, that's how you really get into all these clubs, it's other people. Yeah, of course. Out. I mean, yeah. it's like, you know, think about how many times you've heard someone say, oh, this guy vouched for you or do you vouch for him? You know, yeah. you're putting your, you're putting your own reputation on the line. And I think that's what like has served me. Like, like people can vouch for me. 
and know that at the very least I'm going to be professional and I'm going to be funny. And I think that's, sorry, go ahead. That's really all like you kind of expect or want when someone vouches for you, you know, like to kind of serve their name as well. So you're really cool, man. You vouch for people like a lot, like you, you, you know, you have people open for you. You, you, you put your, um, um, you know, integrity is not the right word but you put yourself out there for other people um i'm so scared to recommend people i i, I like there's like a few i i just want to co- I, I only recommend people if they're like way better than me you know like i pretty much only recommend headliners to like i would recommend you i would recommend someone that i know can headline and like just like kill like i never recommend someone else to to i don't know i just feel like it's it's tough because because if they do bad then it's a poor reflection on you you know uh i also think that like for me i always have felt comfortable doing it because people did it for me yeah not a lot of people but like enough people and i feel like a lot of comedians feel like we're competing against each other and like if you look at it a certain way yeah maybe we are but really like i can't control how funny you're going to be i also can't perform at every single club every single weekend yeah. you know what i mean and so you know, work is scarce out there. And, uh, you know, if I always feel like it's easier to, if you're above, it's easier to pull up than it is to like push up. And so, you yeah. know, if, if I could help in any little way, I'd like to, you know, and it, it doesn't, it doesn't like, I don't feel like it affects me because I trust wholeheartedly in like the energy and the work that I put out that like if I were to recommend someone and it didn't go well, that I've built up enough equity to get the benefit of the doubt with pretty much every place that I work. Right. So like, you know, if I've recommended people to shows or to bookers and, you know, I well, I've heard back like, yo, this guy sucked. <laughs> and it's like, it's like, yeah, my bad. You know, I fucked up on that one. Or, yeah. but you know, I, I tend to not recommend, like funny is subjective. I definitely won't recommend someone to a venue if I feel like I can't trust them at the venue. You know what I mean? Like, I won't recommend someone who's like, oh, man, I know that that guy likes to steal silverware. You know what I mean? I'm not going to recommend you to the shit. If I feel like you can't handle being professional. Yeah. If you, you know what I mean? Like, to me, those are more things that I'm kind of looking for. You know, and if you suck at comedy, I'm not going to recommend you. But if you're, like, good enough, you know, yeah, I'll, I'll recommend you. And, I, you know, that's all I can do. More often times than not, you know, you're still going to get the no. Yeah. But, you know, maybe my little shit of like, hey, this guy here, I think he's funny. I think he's a good fit. Do with it as you will. And then if something comes out of it, great. Basically, at the end of the day, what I'm hoping for is finding the diamond in the rough. Someone becomes a big star and then they get to say, hey, this guy, Kenny Garcia, he helped me out way back when by getting me into this place. Is that what you're doing? You're just recommending everyone? That's all I do. You recommend the better chance. (laughs) I'm waiting for that speech at the Oscars where they're like, oh, I couldn't have done this without Kenny Garcia. So that's kind of what I'm all, what this is all about. You're just at home. That's me. That's me. I did it. I did it. And then I get to do the screenshot with the subtitles on. And then I put it on my, my IG, IG. my Facebook. And it's like, oh shit, look at, look at little baby, uh, James Camacho. He won an Oscar. And then. (laughs) James is like, oh, but then if he doesn't, then I'll shit talk you. I'm like, oh, this guy, you know. Oh, you'll call me. I know you. I fucking helped him out getting him a feature gig that one time. Now look at him. He's too big for his. He's too big for his britches. (laughs) 
Let's um, I want so I think the audience will be very interested in this because when you told me this story, I I fucking I shit my pants. Um, you want to tell us your audition story at the Funny Bone? Oh man, yeah, it's a good story. It's fun <laughs> telling this. It's fun telling this story now, but it wasn't. It was right. one of those weird things where I couldn't enjoy it in the moment. So, so to preface, the Funny Bone is a comedy club chain, um, in the United States. How many clubs do they have? Maybe twenty. I think at least like. 16, 17, I don't know. They're like the McDonald's of comedy chains. Right. So you have, well, it, but they have the, they're the McDonald's, but they have, they're not shit food. They have real, like the best comics um, work there. And there's always, you know, each club seats like 400 people. It's all comedy clubs and malls. It's very, uh, the, 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 the stage, the, the, the club is just beautiful. Everything looks like stadium. They're like mini theaters. By and, McDonald's, I didn't mean it disparaging. By McDonald's, right. I simply meant that they're like a big chain. Right. And they, they, like, you kind of know the quality that you're going to get at every single one. Like, not Very only important. is, like, Ew, yeah. not only is, like, a, a, a person going to the show, but, like, from our perspective as comedians, whenever I get a funny bone gig, I know that, like, I'm going to get fed well while I'm there. I know yes. that, like, the, the check is going to clear. Yes. I know that, like, I'm going to get the email with all of the details, like where I'm staying. There's no, there's no, there's no right. uncertainty. Like some clubs and some gigs will be like, Hey, you want to do this gig? But then they don't tell you how much money they want to pay you. Then they don't tell you uh, where the hotel is. Like when the funny bone offers you a gig, you're they give you all of the information in the first gig. So like as a comic, as a feature, and I'm sure even when as the headliners, we just appreciate getting all of the information. There's so much uncertainty yeah. in this business already. And like, you know, we don't want to have to be worried about the little things. And whenever you get a funny bone gig, you just know, oh, I got a good hotel. Yeah. I got some good food. The check is going to clear and the shows are going to be good. Yeah. There's good. That's another thing too. It's like a lot of small clubs you book. If it's a weird weekend, like, oh, like you might get a Thursday canceled or a Sunday or you have a crowd with six people in it one night. Funny bones will always have a crowd. And, you know, you know, they do it in a way that some people might like people are weird about the room being papered, which is like they give out free tickets. But for me, I've never experienced like a bad um, a papered crowd. It's just they're just normal people that are there for whatever, you know. So you I get a good crowd, you'll sell a you shit can, ton of merch, too. You will. They like buying stuff. They're at the mall yeah. already. So they like to buy shit. So, yeah, it's a good room. Yeah. So, so yeah, how so, do you audition? Like, how like tell this the story. This is a great story. So a couple of like. I mean, I think it's kind of changed at this point to the point where they're not even taking auditions anymore for features. Mm -hmm. But like for the people who may or may not know, you know, when you start getting ready to feature, you know, five years ago, you just want to get as much. It's hard to get work. It's hard to cultivate work. And the appeal of the funny bone that it was one booker who was booking 20 weeks of work a year. You know, it's more than a third of your year you know you want to kind of work as much as possible we work on the weekends so you know it was exciting so you go even to get the email back to audition was like arduous you know you're like oh how do people were secretive about giving out the email to the booker to even send the video in the first place and you know so eventually i had been audition i had been sending my email you know just checking in and, and i was having some correspondence which was giving me a bit of hope then I got pretty lucky that I got someone brought me to a funny bone. They were late um, for the show. The headliner was, and I had to just fill in the time for them. And I was able to do like over an hour. And then like two days later, I got an email from the funny bone people like, Hey, we heard what happened. 
have you auditioned? Are you ready to audition? And I was like, yeah. And then they gave me an audition date and I was pretty excited. Uh, I drove from New York to Columbus, Ohio. Maybe this is too much information, but it was a lot of driving. That's a well, long that's, fucking That's drive. where the auditions are. The Columbus, yeah. Ohio Club is their home base. and Yeah, it's their headquarters. Yeah, headquarters. Listen, yeah. This, just to show how crazy comedians are, I drove from New York City to Columbus, Ohio on a Thursday <laughs> for no money. And on top of that, I had a gig in Rhode Island on Friday. Oh, my God. God. So, think, so think about the miles that are going on this car. I'm literally four hours living in New York from Rhode Island, but I'm driving 10 hours away to go audition, only to drive all the way back to New York to then go to the Providence uh, Comedy Connection for shows on Friday and Saturday. You can't even sleep because you have to do the show. The show's going to be over at nine. What the fuck? You have to leave like at six in the morning. So it's bizarre. Yeah. And uh, But that's who we are. We're crazy comedians. So I go to the audition and uh, like the guy who was featuring for the weekend is closing out the show. And there's like six of us who are basically auditioning for in front of him. And, you know, uh, as soon as we get there, we get our spots. I know one of the other comedians, uh, I don't want to say her name, but like uh, I, I got a very sweet spot. I went on third. And uh, we were all kind of like nervous and a little bit anxious. It was a big moment for all of us. And I felt like we all did really well. And when I got done with my set in the third spot, I was like, oh, I did really well. Like, I, I, I was very comfortable with what I did. It, it felt pretty flawless. So I get done with the audition. And uh, we're all kind of waiting for all six of us to be done. There was an assistant there at the time. She ended up becoming like the head booker but she was the main booker's assistant at the time. And as she's like, hey, after the show, you know, Dave Stroop, he's the guy who, who does the auditions. I don't know that this paint, this story paints him in the best light, but ah, whatever. And- uh, We're still gonna wanna audition for him, so. <laughs> you're gonna still wanna audition for him. But uh, I had heard that he was very straightforward, that he was very curt and to the point. And like in knowing him and working with him for the last five years, nothing has been more true. But I think as a comedian, you kind of appreciate, at the very least, he's going to give you yes or no. Yeah. It's not going to be like you don't know the answer. He just tells you yes, no. And it, he's built up a really great reputation in that that way. That's, you know, that's <laughs> like the, the comic strip owner, rest in peace, who just passed away. He was the same guy, right? Just yes, no, you're not ready. I don't want you. And people, it's only the people that don't get past that go, oh, no, 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 but the people that do work the club, he treats like gold. So yeah. it's just like, hey, the guy's seen a million comics. He's, he's got all the things to do. Don't waste his, you know, he's got a life. Yeah. So we go. I had heard that uh, Dave would normally bring each of the comics in one by one to tell them if like they passed or not. But we get word after the, the, the last person auditions that Dave has to pick someone up at the airport and he's just going to... He's just going to tell all of us at the same time whether we pass and give us a little bit. So we all go into the tiniest office you could ever be in. I mean, it's a perfect office for him sitting at his desk and then one person standing or sitting. In, but there's six of us now in the office. And he You're goes standing, to the first. Standing, right? Standing? We're like all standing. Yeah. Oh, it was just like, it was like some weird star search shit. And, yeah. you know, we're not necessarily in order, but he's got his paper and he's like, hey, this person who went first 
He's like, listen, you talked about being a waitress on stage, and I know it's going to sound weird to you, but I like to hire a professional comedian, so I'm going to take a pass on you. You, number two, uh, I'm sure someone told you that you were ready to audition for me, but you're not. So you should probably talk to them and figure out why they would send you here, but we'll take another look at you in a year or two. He goes, Kenny, uh, you were the only one who changed the temperature of the room this evening, so you're going to be the only one that I pass. So like, it's like, I'm like looking around and I'm, I'm like, fuck, okay. Like, do I celebrate? Like, I wanted to get excited, but then he just, that's all he said. There's still more there's people. Still, there's still, so the, the fourth person, he goes, hey, where'd you drive from? And the guy goes, from here. And he goes, oh, that's a long drive. I'm sorry, you got to go home, but you're not going to be <laughs> ready. He goes, you, the crowd liked you. I thought they, they all laughed, but uh, I just, I've seen enough comedy and I just know that you're not ready for like the rooms. And then uh, you, the last one, uh, yeah, like kind of the same thing. He's like, uh, Laura's got some money for you. Uh, Kenny, hang back. Uh, thanks for coming out. I appreciate it. I hope to see the rest of you guys somewhere down the line. And then that was it. And then like everybody just like leaves. You're all dejected. <laughs> you're like, you know, I think you go with the presumption that you're going to do well and get past. I know that's the way that I thought. And then that was it. And then he like, I'm in the office and we had a chat. And he gave me a week as like an audition week. And then that went well. Uh, and then that was that. It was, it, was, it was pretty. But then I had to like leave the office and go hang out with the five comics that didn't get it. And they were upset for obvious reasons. Did they blow you and at I, least? Did, were they say congrats? Like They were all like congrats. But like, I don't, I think that they felt that they deserved to get past. And like, and looking back, it was a good moment for me and kind of affirming where he was like, Hey, this comedy in that role as the feature is to change the temperature of the room. Yeah. You know, it is about, we're not headliners. We're not selling tickets. You know, no one's, you know, think about if you're on the road, you're asking the club for free tickets for people to come see you. You know what I'm saying? Like, cause you know, you're not making any of that money. Yeah. And so our job is that we follow the host. If the host, you know, doesn't do well which more oftentimes than not kind of happens around the country with, you know, then you got to change the temperature of the room because your quote unquote job is to change the temperature of the room for the guy who's coming up behind you. So now or, these, or gal, did these other comics do well? Like, would you like, if you watched them, would you be like, yeah, you know, I, I fucked with that. Like, or that's funny. Or, I mean, I don't like, I don't think comedians are funny. Like I have trouble right. at this point. I mean, I think people are funny. It's just like hard to enjoy comedy now. Yeah, yeah. I think, you know, I don't know if the people who watch this are like comedians, but like, you know, it's just hard to, we see it all the time. Like, it's like, you know, if I enjoyed carpentry, I think it'd be hard for me to go and enjoy watching someone else do carpentry. You know what I mean? But, uh, Were they, did they do the job though? Like, would you, would you like, like, cause I think they, like you can't, I, do, you can't when already. Wa when I was watching them, I was like, Oh, this sucks. He's going to pass everybody. Oh, you know wow. what I mean? And so yeah. I, in my head, I was thinking, well, that's just six new people they're adding to the rotation. Mm -hmm. And now not only do I have to compete for work with the people who are already working for the funny bone. Now I got these six new people. And, uh, it was like, uh, yeah, it was like, I would have past them but i now look at that time you know five six years ago i get what i think it was like 2015 i would have been like oh all these guys are funny enough to work across the country right and then now looking back i don't think that they're funny enough to work around the country
Right. Dave knows. Was, yeah. Yeah, he knows what his shit. Yeah. Wow, fucking epic tale, dude. Jesus, that's so nervous. And then you had to drive to Rhode Island the next day. And I drove to Rhode Island. It was like a 14-hour drive uh, the next hey, day. Thank God was... you passed, dude. If you hadn't passed, I, I don't know. How would, you, how would that ride have been? <laughs> I'm very much in the moment person. Like, once the moment passes, uh, you know, it would have been fine. Like, I would have been right. disappointed, and I would have tried to figure out a way to, you know, accomplish what I wanted to kind of get to. Mm-hmm. Cool. So, you know, sometimes I'm like a, I'm like, a, I go with the flow. You know, you can't change the current of a river. Right. You got to bet, you got to yield to it, but you have to learn how to excel in the current. And I think that that's kind of something that served me well for my life. That's good. Yeah. Like, um, I, I, I definitely have issues sometimes. I hold on to things for a little too long. And- yeah. I was in a car with you for six hours recently. And I was like, this guy holds on to a lot of shit. <laughs> Really? What, 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 what was I holding on to? I'm joking around. Oh, just fuck. a joke. See, that's See now, now you're going to think about it for a while. Oh, God damn it. So you're living in Tampa now. Where'd you grow up? I grew up in the lower east side of Manhattan. Woo! Where'd you go to high school? What was the, the name of the high school? This is the natural segue you were talking about? This is the natural segue. I, yeah, I, I felt a little forced. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I've went to a handful of high schools. Uh, the chronology of my high school career is quite littered and layered. Okay. Uh, if you like, I can tell you some fun stories from like the freshman year type shit. Or if you yeah. like, I can just get at, right at with the. I went to a high school called Seward Park High School. Okay. In the in the Lower East Side of Manhattan, notoriously tough school. Like uh, you know, when I was there, I'm a lot older than you. So I was there in the nineties and like it was like metal detectors all over the place. Uh, It was a, it was a, yeah, it was a tough school. Jesus. Uh, But my high school career started at a school in Rhode Island Mm -hmm. uh, called Portsmouth Abbey. Okay. Uh, It was a really, it was a boarding school. It was a little hoity toity. I played a lot of basketball and, uh, there were some programs in Manhattan that would send kids who were athletically gifted to boarding schools around the country uh, through the Boys Club of New York. And I was mm-hmm. fortunate enough to be one of those kids. So I like kind of went through their program, you know, for like seventh grade, eighth grade. You're like kind of in their system. They're trying to get you acclimated to get ready to go to high school away from home. Right. And so I went to this school called Portsmouth Abbey the summer before my high school career. And had just the most fun I had ever had up to that point in my life. Like, it was just a beautiful campus. It was, like, gorgeous. Uh, and then uh, freshman year starts. And for whatever reason, they put the freshmen with the seniors uh, in the dorm. It's, like, it's a Catholic school. So it's, like, kind of like a mentorship program type thing. Okay, okay. I wasn't bunking with other seniors. I was just, like, on the same floor as they were. That sounds like a bad idea, but okay. It's uh, when I tell you this story here. You don't understand why it was a bad idea. So during this time, it was quite common to be, when you were new, to be hazed. I come from a place where we don't do that to each other. Like, if you do something disrespectful to me, we're going to fight. So I didn't know, I didn't understand the concept of hazing. I, if someone did some dumb shit to me, we were just going to fight. Like, you're not allowed to do... I come from a place you can't give an inch. You gotta like, you always got fights for yours. That's what the right. Lower East Side was to me. And 
I go to the school. I had a roommate. His name is James Deck. He was a lacrosse player. And uh, I, we're like at the campus maybe two or three days. And I come back to my room. And the room has been antiqued. Uh, I didn't know what antiqued was at the time either. But basically, two boys that were seniors came into our room and just sprayed baby powder all over our room. Like just took a Johnson & Johnson baby powder Okay. Two things were peculiar about that. One, I was like, why do white kids have so much baby powder? I thought this was like a black kid thing. And then two, why did my roommate let this happen? He was like, yo, I was in the room when it happened. What? And I was like, yo, dude, like, this is all of our shit. Like, this is fucking shit is ruined. Like, I had like, this is like during the time when like you had the tape. I had like an actual cassette tape. Yeah, how yeah, old yeah. I am. And like my, some of my tapes were like just dried out and ruined from the baby powder. Like, you know, I had like a speaker. It was just fucked up. Yeah. And I, I was like, yeah. I was like livid. I was like, yo, dude, like, how could you let this happen? They ruined our shit. It's like, oh, you know, it's just, it's hazing. It is what it is. And I'm like, well, that's, that shit don't fly for me. Like, you, we can't, I'm cool with all of us being even, but you can't have one up on me. That's kind of the way that I've been my whole life. We got, we always. Your roommate, like, that's a bitch. Like, you can't live with someone like that. He's a cool kid. Anywho, yeah. I decided that evening that we were going to get even. get even. And so what I decided to do was I snuck into this dude's room in the middle of the night. Uh, and then I climbed on top of his bed. This is, mind you, boarding school, so wooden bed frames. <laughs> and I stood above him and I peed on him. And uh, it didn't take him long before he realized he was being peed on. So he exploded up in a fury. And uh, <laughs> in a fury. <laughs> and then we fought in my pee. And for a bit of it, I'm fairly certain that my penis was out. You know, yeah. I don't know. I don't know how my dick got back underneath my pants because I don't know. The, for you. I don't know. I don't know if I. But it, like, it definitely wasn't like an issue. Like, it wasn't like, oh shit, I fought this guy. My dick was out the whole time. <laughs> so something I've always been curious about, like, how did my dick get back into my pants? Like, did I just like really just? Because I have no recollection of putting it back into my pants. Right. So the fight got broken up pretty quickly. Like, we weren't able to like really do anything except that like he had piss on his face. That was mine. Right. Then uh, we got, we like went before a hearing in the Catholic school. I argued that, uh, that, you know, I shouldn't face any repercussions because I was just, you know, eye for an eye type shit. Ooh. But apparently they suspended me because I broke the school's honor code. There were no locks on our doors. And they, part of the honor code was that you needed permission to go into someone's room. So I was like, yo, they came into my room. Right. Why are why aren't they being suspended? And they were like, the kid was in the room, the roommate, and he let them into the room. Oh, brutal. I wasn't invited into the room. So I got suspended for two weeks and then I just decided that I didn't want to go back to that school. I think I was like embarrassed. So then I went to a Catholic high school in Manhattan called St. Agnes, Saint which Agnes. was uh it's like a really it's a good school, but I went, I was a basketball player. I wanted to like play basketball. It was in a really great division of Catholic high school basketball during the nineties, but we were easily like the worst school, but I got to play as a freshman. I did that for you a year. You only went to the school to play basketball, right? I only went to the school to play basketball. Okay. Yeah. 
And then uh, it didn't work out uh, at St. Agnes. Uh, I just wasn't, it was in the Upper West Side. You know, I just was like one of those kids who, you know, I knew that that school in Rhode Island was a great school for like basketball and for like what I thought I was trying to do at the time. Mm -hmm. So then I had a bunch of friends that like, you know, lived in the Lower East Side. They all played basketball and they all were like, yo, you should need to come to the school. Like, and so eventually I ended up just transferring to Seward Park High School. Fairly good basketball team. Uh, you know, a couple of kids from the Lower East Side played on the team and ended up like going Division One, which I think is like a pretty wow. huge accomplishment for a, a, any high school. Yeah. Kind of what you want to do when you have a basketball program. And then I played there and it was a lot of fun. It was a weird, tough school uh, during a weird, crazy time in New York City during the 90s, you know, like just the heart of, you know, mid 90s. That's me. I'm a New York City kid. Right. You know, 90s through and through. And what do, you, what do you mean? Like, because I, I think, you know, my audience, the people that listen to this are like, they, they're my, my age. So they might not know like, what are you talking about. Like, like, they, so all, like they think uh, of the Lower East Side as like, you know, oh, the bars are there. All the college kids, that's a hip place. Yeah, that wasn't like that during the 90s. It was like, to give an example, when I was a kid, I grew up in the projects. And if other kids were friends of mine, uh-huh. this is like pre-cell phones, like right at the beginning of beepers, they couldn't walk to my projects without me. Not because like I was some big, giant, tough kid or whatever. It was because no visitors allowed. I couldn't go to, that was like kind of an unwritten rule of the projects. Like you were taking, you were taking a risk if you walked through projects, not knowing people. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, what, what it was would like this, a multitude of things. You would get jumped. You would get jumped and have nothing happen to you. You know, like you would just, it's like this, it was the, the projects are like the Savannah. You know what I'm saying? Like there's predators and there's prey. Mm-hmm. And what, and then there's like, then there's like animals that are not predator and not prey. They're like just a part of the ecosystem. And then that's kind of how you had to like learn to like live. Right. Like if you didn't want to be prey, I didn't want to be a predator and I definitely didn't want to be prey. So you had to like learn how to like live in the ecosystem. You know what I mean? Like, you just have to learn how to move in a way that like we used to call it like, yo, don't be a herb. Don't get yourself got. Don't like, you know, whatever. All these little things. And like, that's just kind of the way I learned to move in the world. Like I, I have this thing. I'm like, yo, I'm just not available to be fucked with. Yeah. Like I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying I'm the biggest, baddest dude in the world, but I'm definitely not somebody that's going to be taken advantage of. And I learned all of that in the Lower East Side. Like that's what it was like growing up. It was like, you know, all the little bodegas were like, you know, everybody was selling drugs on the corner and, you know, it was like part of all part of the ecosystem. Yeah. And uh, that's the way it was when I would have friends who lived in other projects. I would like, yo, I get off on the train, I'd jump to a payphone, I'd be like, yo, I'm at the train. And they'd be like, all right, cool, I'm gonna come meet you. And then you waited for your friend to come to the train or come close enough to the train. Right. And, you know, you have to be patient because this is pre-cell phones, you know, so like no texting, no nothing. You're just kind of waiting. And then you get your boy, you give him the pound, and then now you can walk through together. You know what I mean? Like now I'm walking with my man George, you know, right. or my now you you come around enough. Like I had cousins that grew up on Avenue D. So, you know, Avenue D was a lot tougher. I grew up on Pitt Street, Delante right. and Pitt Street. So like Avenue D was a lot tougher than Pitt Street was. So you kind of had to, but it, you had to like 
I had cousins though, and my grandmother lived on Columbia Street, you know? So it was like, we weren't in the neighborhood doing bad shit, none of my cousins, but we were all good at sports. And so, you know, you kind of, through time, all oh, those are the kids who were like just doing sports. They're not really fucking around. And then if they like tried to fuck with us, we would like stand up for ourselves. And then, then you just kind of like, I'm just, well, no, these guys aren't available. They're like kind of like, they're like the little, you know, fucking whatever. I don't know the animals of the Savannah. Right. But that's who we, that's like who I, you know, aspire to be. Right. Like, you know, I'm, I'm just not available. And like, that's what the Lower East Side was like. And then all of the kids who grew up in that environment went to that school. You know, it wasn't nothing to like be at Seward Park High School. The school was so big that it had two separate buildings that took up a whole city block. Mm-hmm. You know, like we had like the annex of the Seward Park, which was in a completely different location than the main building of Seward Park. The main building is what housed the juniors and the seniors. Right. And the annex is what housed the uh, freshmen and the sophomore. And it was a tough school. Like, you know, you'd go to school and then they'd be like, yo, nobody's allowed to leave class. Uh, you're going to do your second and your third period in the class because the police are here because someone got stabbed in the cafeteria, you know, and then you hear later why the kid got stabbed and they were like, you know, ninth and 10th graders are, you know, gambling, they're playing dice, you know, or some shit. And, you know, we don't know. Like, so, you know, you got to avoid that shit every day. Like that's, you know, you're going to, now, you would know, teachers it was a, do anything? Like, if, so if there was a stabbing, would the teachers come? Or the teachers like, hey, I'm not making enough money to fucking... Do- I think, you know, you had... Like, looking back, it never felt like our teachers were, like, afraid by any means. But, like, I don't have that type of high school career where, like, I remember more than one or two teachers. Right. You know, like, no, no one... It all felt like everyone was just doing their job to go home at the end of the day. Like, I hear, like... I'll hear other people talk about their high school careers and they're like, oh, I had this teacher. She was, oh, she changed my whole, like there were no teachers at our school that were changing kids' lives. Right. At least not the kids that I knew. It was just like, yo, I teach at the school. It's fucking notoriously tough. My only real job here as a teacher is to get back home at the end of the night. I'm going to try to do the best that I can. And if I reach a kid or two, then more power to it. But I think that was like kind of the vibe of the teachers. Like, no one was really going out of their way to, like, be fucking mentors and, you know, grab bad kids under their wing and pull them in and save them from bad shit. You know, like, right. you no, know, those secu- are fairy tales, bro. Those aren't real. Like, our security guards, like, you walk through the metal detectors and, you know, you became friendly with the security guards at the school. But, you know, these were like, sometimes they were like old ladies and, you know, older men. And, uh, yeah, you're like, you know, you go through the thing and, you know, you hear, you hear the, do, 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 and you look back and they're like, you know, they're holding some kid up and he's trying to sneak in a knife or Jeez. there wasn't a lot, there wasn't a lot of gunplay at my school. Like it would have been a really big deal if someone brought a gun to school. Yeah. But you know, there was like a lot of slicings, a lot of box cutters, you know, like a lot of slicing on the face during fights. There was How also often? like, yeah, there was also like a little bit of a gang element in the Lower East Side, like, not like Bloods and Crips type shit, like, that wasn't really coming, but there was, like, a, a, a handful of, like, you know, Latin King type gangs, and, like, there was, like, another small gang called the Decepticons, which I always found kind of funny, yeah, but they were, like, no, Transformers. It was from Transformers, like, notoriously, like, tough kids, and, like, you just kind of had to, like, be mindful of them, yeah. like, they were, they were in school because they had to be in school, 
because during that time in the 90s as well, it was also hard to like play hooky in our neighborhood because there would be police going around, rounding you up and then just bringing you to school. Jesus. So yeah, it was a pretty weird time. Like, you know, uh, you just had to like, if you were going to like play hooky from school, you had to just go home. You know what I'm saying? Like you couldn't, like you had to hope that like your mom worked the nine to five. Right. And then you, you could be out running around. Yeah. But you know, a lot of the kids in the Lower East Side, their grandmas live at home or their, you know, the grandmas like my grandma was a lunch lady, you yeah. know, or, you know, my aunt was a teacher. So I had to be careful when I was like cutting school because they would have kind of the same schedule as I would. And I had to like, you know, navigate that right. as well. Was learn like, so how do you even learn in this environment? Like, I mean, like, you're sitting there, you're thinking you can get stabbed at any moment. Like, I wasn't like, thinking I could get stabbed at any moment. Yeah. But like, uh, it's more aggressive. Like, you know, like someone could I, fuck with you, you know, or someone. What I what, you know, I think what happens in most high schools is you see each other every day and you just kind of recognize who are the kids who are available to be fucked with, who are the kids who are doing the fucking with. And then everybody else is just kind of not trying to be one of those kids. You know what I mean? Like, you don't ever yeah. want to be the kid who's getting fucked with. And, like, I was a little bit different in that. Like, I didn't really like bullying. But I wasn't, like, ready to be a martyr. I wasn't going to be one of those kids who, like, stood up. But I definitely would, like, right. advocate for, like, um, you know, maybe grabbing a kid who didn't necessarily fit in with a crowd and then bringing him into a crowd where he could be more comfortable and then hence be left alone to a certain extent, if yeah. you will. Like that's kind of something that I did quite often. Right. Kind of similarly to what I do with other comedians in a weird way. Now that I think about it, that's pretty yeah, profound. Definitely. So like, uh, yeah, school wasn't a place to like learn. Like I didn't graduate high school. Like I left and got a GED. Like, I don't know a single kid who graduated from Seward Park High School. Really? Like, yeah, we didn't have no prom. Like, I didn't go to, I think, I know that there was a prom. I don't know who went. Like, I, I know that I'm still friends with a bunch of people who went, like, Facebook friends. And I'm actually curious because, like, I don't know people who grad, like, I have, most of my cousins went to Seward Park High School. None of them graduated. We all just left and got a yeah. GED. And, like, it was just, like, you went it was literally just going and working a nine to five job that was at like Taco Bell. You just don't give a fuck about advancing at Taco Bell. But then maybe right. you see that one guy at Taco Bell who's like, I want to be a manager at Taco Bell one day. Yeah. And you can see him trying a little bit harder. Yeah. And like, you know, maybe the other employees at Taco Bell would like, like, oh, look at fucking, look at that idiot trying hard at Taco Bell. But yeah, that's a loser. That, yeah. That's but meanwhile, life. that. Meanwhile, that guy was the one who, you know, now is the manager of Taco Bell and maybe he's got a nice little career. That's what it yeah. was like at my high school. There were a lot of kids who were just like, I'm just here to be here. Like, I know me, for example, I liked playing basketball. I was on the basketball team. You only needed to pass four classes in a gym. The fact that I remember this to this day speaks to how much we were thinking about everyone on our basketball team. Once you recognize that, like, hey, I don't really have any college aspirations, yeah. like that kind of. I had a guidance counselor at Seward Park High School. I never saw him one time. You know what I'm saying? Like, I have yeah. no recollection ever of chatting with a guidance counselor at that school. I don't know any kid at Seward Park High School who chatted with their guidance counselor. Right. But I, we all knew you just had to pass four classes in a gym to maintain eligibility to play basketball. To play basketball. You just, you're just. 
going to school and trying to pass just to keep playing ball. So what you would do is that, like, for instance, with me, I knew I w- every year that I was at Seward Park, well, just my junior and senior year, every year that I was at Seward Park, those last two years, mm-hmm. I was academically ineligible for, like, the first four games of those years because the previous year, I just wouldn't go to class because I knew the trade-off was, like, why would I work hard or why would I work to maintain this, like, four classes in a gym when I'm only going to miss the four games. Right. Like, you know what I'm saying? Sometimes you look at, you just like, I don't give a fuck about none of that. Like that's what that school was. That school was just, that school was just like a, a big babysitting place, you know? That, and like, that's what I was thinking. It's just like a building where I guess you have to go because of the law, all the kids go there, but it's like, you know, if you're flunking or, you know, like when I was in high school, when we got to like senior year, like you would just like you would get a notice like your guidance counselor will see you this day. Like I didn't go and reach out for it. And then you sit there and then they go through your resume and your resume. Fuck your um your record. grades. Yeah. See where you want to apply to. They help you out with your, your essay. And like if you were failing a class, they would send progress reports to your parents. They would mail like your, your son's, you know, fucking up in this class and like they would like, you know, write to you, like they would try to help you. Like they would be annoying almost, you know, like, but it's, yeah. Like, and I, but they yeah. were trying to like help you guys out. Like it felt like for us, they were trying to just babysit us. And like most of us like are all like normal, good people. Like, you know, Sergio Chacon, a yeah. comedian. Yeah. He, he went to Seward Park High School. Like he, he has the same exact story yeah. that I have about Seward Park High School. You know what I mean? Like, you know, that's what that place was. That place was like a neighborhood school. You were zoned to go to that school. Yeah. It, it was, it covered a fairly big neighborhood. And mm-hmm. so, and it was a giant school that had a ton of kids. And really, if you were a kid who didn't want any trouble, you just would keep your head down and you were just kind of hoping. I had the luxury of being on the basketball team and like being fairly funny and charming enough that like nobody was really fucking with me. Yeah. You know, like uh, there would be big giant fights out. We would all get released into this big giant parking lot when the school was day was finally over. If you stood the whole day, mm-hmm. which I would say most of the kids wouldn't like you had the freedom to kind of come in and out in between periods. So there was like a lot of independence, yeah. you know, which I think would have been good if like what they were really cultivating there was like a really positive learning experience. Yeah. So like, for instance, you would get a schedule and you would have like homeroom and then, you know, in order to be marked presence for the day, all you had to do was go to homeroom. Yeah. Which was like this, which was like the third period. And then, you know, that's what you would do. You would go, you missed your first and second period. If you didn't feel like going to that class, if you didn't need it for the four classes in the gym. Yeah. Then uh, you'd go to your homeroom and then you'd fucking go out for lunch and never come back. Right. Unless, you know, then you'd hear like, oh, yo, they come, you know, they do when they little sweeps and, you know, they, they, you didn't ever want to be rounded up in the van. Would your parents then, find out though? Would they, would the, would they call your parents? Probably not. I mean, it's, I, I like, I like how you throw plural on parents. I would say that most of the kids on the Lower <laughs> East Side were very much in single parent homes. Like maybe the parents would be like a mom and a grandma. Like I don't know people who had right. dads in the house. Okay. So you, you know what I'm saying? Like rounded up. What would happen if you got rounded up? You just end up in this van. Yeah. Like, you end up spending, you'd rather just be in class than be in the van. You're just stuck in this hot ass 15 passenger van while they're just going around, 
snatching up kids. So you got to wait. You know, then maybe some kid starts running and you're stuck in the van and you're like, yo, fuck, there goes like another 20 minutes. I got to wait for the two. Sometimes you'd be in the van and both the dudes who were like the warrant officers or whatever, they yeah. leave the van. They fucking lock you in a van. Oh, they're like, yo, dude, like this is crazy. But sometimes you could get out and you just would escape the van. Could you imagine having that job? Your job is to round up teenagers and you're just fucking running. Kids are running because they know who you are. They would be plain clothes. Yeah. Like it was bizarre. Like it was just a stupid, silly, like for fun, kids would go to a building that was next door and from the roof, they would throw bottles off the building into the parking lot where kids would be hanging out. Yeah. So you just would see like bottles just exploding, you know, and you'd be like, you'd like look up. And, you know, sometimes you might catch a little shrapnel on a little tiny piece of glass just, like, mix your cheek. And you're like, you don't even feel it. You're like, yo, I'm bleeding. Yeah. It'd be, like, weird shit like that. Like, that's what that place was. And it was, I know that kids went to tougher, crazier high schools. And it wasn't the craziest of high schools, but it was a bizarre, bizarre environment. Bro, this is so, like, different than, like, any, like, my my high school experience and, like, most high school. I, I think I, I got to, I would assume Seward High School is not like this now, right? It's actually been broken up and it is no longer Seward Park High School. Okay. And it's been like, it's been turned into like, it's such a big, the building used to be an old prison as well before <laughs> it was a high school, which is like kind of funny and synonymous with, with what was happening there. Yeah. But um, it's become like 14, 15 different small satellite high schools, which was like fairly popular, like in the 2000s, what high schools were happening. Right. You know, instead of having the big giant high school, they would have these like singular smaller programs. I think the the hope was that like if you have these specific type programs, you can kind of get kids to hone in and concentrate on the stuff a little bit more. Right. And uh, I don't know if it worked or not. Uh, you know, kind of once I left that place. Right. You know, it was like it wasn't like oh thank God it was a relief. Like I definitely had like a lot of fun at that school. Like the school was you know playing on the basketball team was fun. We we were pretty good. You know, the, the girls are all the kind of girls a young teenage boy, you know, would like. All the girls yeah. were coming to the school. Yeah. You know, I felt like I, I met my daughter's mother at that school. You right. Know? So, uh, so, yeah, like, you know, it was like, it was like a fun place to be. Yeah. We don't have malls. You don't have malls growing up in New York. Right. You know, like kids in, in the suburbs, you go hang out at the mall. Like, we would hang out at school. Yeah. You know, like, like. We liked hanging out in the parking lot and we're very frustrated when they were like, yo, you got to fucking leave the parking lot. Right. And it was like, where are we going to go now? Where are we going to go? go? Let's go. Let's just go to class and fuck around in class or like you'd fuck around running around the stairs. I had so many stairs, this building. A lot of fun things would happen in the stairs. That sounds, it almost sounds fun, dude. Like my high school was so militant. It was like, go to class. Like the hallways were completely empty during class time if you were out you needed a hall pass uh, there would be it was very guards every, it was every- very much the same at my school like you know when the bell was in session and class was like the hallways were supposed to be empty yeah and it, it wouldn't be like raucous in the hallways but they would definitely you'd see the kids running from stairs to stairs, and you like look out yeah and you'd see the security there were security guards on every floor you know yeah all they were doing was babysitting us right was there like detention and suspension? Like if you didn't go to school enough times, you'd get like the, like in trouble? I'm fairly certain that there was. Yeah. Um, like I don't remember 
going to a det- oh you know what that's not true there was a detention i do they had it like in the auditorium right you would go to the you would go to detention you'd sit in there i don't think they gave it to you for skipping class but what? maybe they did like you just i think if you accumulate i don't remember that part yeah because I, I don't remember even i also had the luxury of being on the basketball team and i had we kind of we were like the only we had a fairly good baseball and like soccer program Right. But we got a lot of leeway on the team of like some like, you know, like we didn't we it was kind of implied that the gym we were already going to pass because we were on the basketball team. You know what I mean? And like we had like one of those old school type PE teachers who like really glorified us like, oh, these are the kids, you know, these are a future. And that. Yeah. Yeah. These are the guys who bring glory to our name, you know, type shit. Mm -hmm. So like in. Um. Damn, dude, this is so crazy. Do you have any, like, uh, I know you said you met your, your daughter's mother there. Like, how did that come about? That's, um. Uh, well, she, <laughs> you know who else was at, you know who else was at my high school, by the way? Do you know Jewel Santana? Yeah. So uh, Jules. high, right? Yeah, so Jewel Santana is two years younger than me. Fuck off. It, That's great. Interestingly enough, his name is La Ron James. Really? So not LeBron James, but LeBron LeBron James. Wow. And he had a he had a brother who was my age. His name is Jermaine James. Yeah. And during high school, they had this thing that they lived in Harlem. His brother Jermaine is a really great basketball player. We were on the team together, and he and I became really really friendly. Wow. And I think he's Juel's uh, manager and Uh has been for the last handful of years. They were all on that VH1 show, the Love and Hip Hop. Like yeah. Jewels was on that, and like that's how like I found out that because we all lost touch, but I would go hang out with them, and like they had a mom named Gloria who Jewels did a song called Gloria, yeah, and like we we would go to the Apollo with Jewels when he was like in fucking a sophomore in high school and he would win Apollo Kids, wow, you know, and like dude was mad funny, he was hilarious in school, very charming, like just yeah. a good looking brown kid, light skinned black kid. And uh, yeah, like so, like my daughter's mother was friends with Jewels, yeah, or Laron, yeah. And then I was obviously friends with Jermaine. And then my daughter's mother was like one of those girls who was like, you know, the hair slicked back Puerto Rican chick with the yeah. big earrings. But yeah, and man. then, but she was white. She was Italian, but okay. she looked pale, like she was a very light skinned girl, but she had green eyes so she, and big boobs. So everybody was very excited by her. Big boobs. And uh, yeah, big boobs as a 17 year old is like a big deal. You know what I'm saying? So That's, yeah, uh, having a Lambo. We actually met, she was 16 and I was 18. So I was just about ready to just like stop going to school when I met her. Right. I was like, yeah, like basketball season's about to be finished. And I'm not going to be coming to class no more. I also had the, I also had like a weird end to my comp, my high school career. And I still, I got a job that paid very, very well for a 17 year old. I was working at the New York times, yeah. uh, like for my last year, for my junior year. And like, for like the end of my junior year of high school, then through the summer between junior and senior year. And then I tried to play basketball my senior year. I did. We had a really great season. And then as soon as that finished, I told the New York Times that, like, yo, I could work full-time now. And then they just let me work full-time. It was bizarre. It's amazing. Yeah. So I was making pretty good money. 
and you know, I was living in the projects. Then my mom, my senior year of high school, my mom moved out of my apartment. She had met a guy, they had a baby and then eventually a second baby. So for my senior year of high school, I got to like live in the apartment that I grew up in by myself. Oh, wow. With like one, with, with my best friend at the time, who's like still one of my best friends, but he moved in with me. He, he He's older than me. He had a job at like UPS and we were just two dudes living like adults yeah. in this apartment. Like we didn't have no parties. We like fucking went grocery shopping. We just like, we're ready to be adults. Yeah. Like we were both, we were both very independent and just like ready to like fucking take that next step in life. Like we didn't smoke and do drugs and shit. Yeah. We just was like, yeah, I just need to fucking get, figure this whole life shit out. And yeah. so we just, yeah, we like, you know, maybe I have a person or a girl or two come over, which would be nice to kind of, that was like very much like a luxury during that time to find a empty space to do shit in high school. Yeah. And I had that available. Yeah. Uh, um, so yeah, like that was cool. It was a lot of fun. That's amazing, dude. It's like, it's I, it just, it's just like you grew up so different than I think kids are growing up now, or maybe just the people I know, like you're growing up pretty much like even your high school was kind of just like, you know, if you want to learn, if you want to educate yourself, it's here. We don't really give a fuck, you know? Just Yeah, they needed the kids to kind of take some initiative, which right. would have been good if, like, the kids wanted. Like, I think that that's a good way to learn. Right. But it's just you had so much other shit to deal with. Yeah. It's like, yeah, man, fuck this learning shit, man. Like, I just need to get out of here. But for me, it's I like... Need to yeah. I need to live. I need to survive. Right. Right. But right now, it's like... You know, being a kid, it's like we're so like handheld and like force fed and like they want to help us every step of the way. And like, I don't know if that's that's good, too. It's 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 kind of weird because like you turned out, you know, Joel Santana obviously turned out really great. And like um, the kids now, like, I, I, are, are we better for it? Do you think it's better the way you grew up or like kind of this new this this way now? Actually, where it's like, you know, no child left behind. That's like, you know? fairly interesting. Like, I know. I have like a really tangible difference between, uh, you know, the way that I grew up. I was raised by a single mom in the yeah. Lower East Side. Like to give a really great example, I lived in a building when I was in the first grade. So that's six years old. Mm-hmm. My mom left for work before I went to school. Yeah. So I lived on the 10th floor of an apartment in the projects. And my I, when I was waking up, it was because my mom was kissing me to say goodbye. I'm right. going to work. Right. And I had to like brush my teeth, put my school uniform on and walk downstairs in the first grade. And then I walked to the corner and then luckily like my school was right across the street, a Catholic right. school right across the street. So basically it was like walking down, going walk like maybe a, a minute to the crossing guard and then the crossing guard would issue me a across the street and then I would go to school and then like an older cousin or my grandma would pick me up after school and then I'd go to my grandmother's house. So like think just something as simple as like that, like at six years old, I'm getting dressed, I'm in an apartment by myself. Right. And then I I go to school on time. I was like, I don't ever remember being late. Yeah. And then I had a then I had a daughter and I couldn't fathom even leaving her alone in the apartment, let alone being like get yourself dressed. And like I definitely like coddled her. Yeah, and was very protective of her, and she's turned out okay and fine, mm-hmm. but like she isn't as independent 
as I would like. Like she's never been on the train by herself. Meanwhile, when I'm eight years old, I'm like sneaking onto the train and like going all over the city. You know what I mean? Like right. to this day, like she's gotten on airplanes by herself. But again, that's a little bit different. You know, like yeah. you pay someone, you know, so she's done that. And I think she's getting ready to like be independent. Yeah. But I was like ready to be independent and living by myself. I think when I was like 13 years old, I was like, I didn't enjoy living with my mom. I didn't like the way she was taking care of me. I felt that I was actually taking care of her. Yeah. And I just kind of, I just want, I was like, this would be so much better if I fucking got a job and just lived by myself. I remember having those thoughts at like 13 years old. Yeah. And my daughter just turned 17. And I think the idea of living by herself is intriguing. She just has no clue how to like put it together. Right. And I think that that's, and I think that that's a natural progression for kids. And for me, she might not be as tough as I would like. Yeah. But like, she's also a really great kid and she's progressing yeah. at a very natural pace. Yeah. I don't think 13 year olds should be thinking, I want to live by myself. You know what I'm saying? I can do this yeah. better. Like that's not natural and normal to me. It was just a survival instinct and it served me well, but it also could have gone a completely different way. Like I know some so many kids who grew up this way and for whatever reason, they were like, yo, I'm going to just, I have all this free time. I'm going to do drugs and I'm going to yeah. smoke and I'm going to drink. And I just never got involved in any of that. So it's like a combination of like a bit of luck and fortune. Right. I had like, I didn't have a dad around per se, but I had like good adult males around me. I went to this, this boys club in my neighborhood and they were all really cool. Like they were very protective. Yeah. And like, uh, yeah, it was like, a. so I think having that is what helped. So, yeah. I don't know what's better. It all. I think it's easier to decide what's better once the kid gets old enough and you can see. I think, and I think every situation is different. Yeah. Well, I think there's. I think. I think you're right, but I also think there's too much. I think. I think we give kids too much time of kind of like force feeding them what to learn, what to do, what the, how to think, and then by the time they're 18 or even they go to college, they they just doing what everyone's been telling them to do. You know, you got to go to school. You got to get education. You got to do this you gotta get and then like i think we should do that up until you know more maybe like past the formidable years and then kids can kind of start doing maybe at like 13 14 they can start doing what they what they are interested in you, you see what i'm saying as opposed yeah to i mean that's the way they do it and that's what they do it in other countries and you know that's why you get yeah. these like really incredible ballerinas and shit from russia but right. you know i don't know i don't know that there's necessarily a right way or wrong way to do it anything it's just a way that works specifically but we can't do that you can't have these like you know there is like kind of a herd or pack mentality that you kind of have to have only because i think the whole reason for school is just so that adults can go to work yeah like, to me like school is school is bullshit like i don't want my daughter to go to college it feels like bullshit just go start yeah. life already well, i remember and remember, like uh yeah i remember covid they were like i remember when uh, just from covid people are like you know, you got to go back to schools and like, I mean, you got to, you got to go back to schools, you know, and like, so the, the parents can go to work. So the economy yeah. can fucking start again. Yeah. To me, it's the whole purpose of like school. Like, yeah, sure. You learn shit. I also think more importantly, you just kind of learn how to be around people your own age. I think that's like an important thing. And I think that's what kids who have to be like at home, that's what they're missing. You know, they're missing that camaraderie. Like we're social people. Yeah. But really Not, that's yeah. all this shit is for. Like, so yeah, to me, you should be going to school and there should be like specialized shit. Like, oh, this kid excels in fucking archery. So like, let's, you know, let's get some right. archery training. Oh, this girl's a phenomenal poet. Like, let's, 
enhance that. They don't do that at schools. No. You know, you're all studying the same shit and you're all studying it at the same pace. And I think that that's what was, yeah, that's what was hard at my high school is that you might've had kids who wanted to learn and who were like interested in like excelling at school, but the class, there's 35, 40 kids in a class. You're only going to go as quickly as like the slowest learner. And they were like a lot of fucking knuckleheads. Yeah, you know who were like just holding up the class. You know who were like joking, right. who were doing wild shit, who was making fun of the teacher. You know, and like, you right. know, it was just, it's just, it's just. So what are you gonna do? So then you just, you just gotta tune those kids out to teach the four kids who are interested. Yeah. But then the thirty-four kids are just fucking milling about, and then somebody walks by and they see the the class is all fucking chaotic. So then now they're judging this teacher. So what's that teacher gonna do? Of course he's gotta just be like, hey. Reel this shit in. What do you let's play seven up, you know? Like let's do yeah, some yeah. shit to so that it looks orderly in here. Right. So it's all fun. What you gonna do? It's all fun. But the, you know what? It's it's I always think this too, like when we talk about all these societal things, it's like you still have brilliant people that come out from it. And yeah, there could be more if the system was better or but I still think you know the people that are you know meant to be uh do good things are gonna yeah i just i feel exactly the same like you know fucking jay-z came out of the projects you know and jewel santana his, he didn't jewel santana did what he did and, you know if you want to figure it out you'll figure it out yeah it's just harder you know it's like for sure you know it's you're running a race and you're not starting it at the same pace that everyone else is starting at yeah. you know that's where like it hurts and like that's where there's this like the shit wasn't happening at like other high schools like you said and then there's a common thread yeah, oh, it's like these white high schools, you know, it's like these underserved neighborhoods with these shitty high schools, you know, it's like all of these things. And like, it's just a systemic problem. It is. It really is. Yeah. 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 And, it's and so but the the world, we're all not running a race and starting it from the same point. And no. you're just kind of seeing that you're seeing that when you're when I'm in high school. Luckily for me, I had like the I had like the context of these boarding schools, you know, I was like, yo, why are these schools? And you start to figure shit out. And then you're like, oh shit, like they, they may not be intentionally trying to hold us back, but we're being held back. Absolutely. Like, I don't, why, why don't I have the, I live in the richest city in the world. Mm. Why don't, why don't our school have air conditioning? Right. You know, like this is a publicly funded school, but we don't got fucking air conditioning. Why we don't got pencils that work. Why there's like, why there's only one teacher and why are there 45 kids in this class? Right. Like, tough right. kids. Why does like why does like a dude with a full straight up beard in here and you expect this like 24-year-old teacher to be able to wrangle all of this shit up? Like, come right. on. What to do, yeah. It's I tough. Mean, so. I feel that way in college. Like I, you know, I'm definitely like very I feel fortunate that you know I, I went to a cool, you know, a good high school and then like you know, I come from a family where like I can do stand up and not have to worry about taking care of myself. Like at 18, at 18, dude, I was just dicking around in college. Then I didn't start doing stand up till 20. And I was able to like live off my parents till I was like 23, you know, and then I moved but, to the city and like, but I know be nice. It must, it's fucking great. I'm not bragging, but it's pretty fucking great. But I do feel like I got one guy gave me shit and I'll say this and then we'll wrap up. But, like this one guy gave me shit once about college. Like, I was like, 20 21 doing open mic and he's like yeah it must be so easy for you you know like you don't have to work you just can do comedy all day it must be so fucking easy for you and, and obviously it's shitty and it feels shitty to hear that but 
Um, I'm very understanding. I'm like, I know where he's coming from. The guy's, you know, in his thirties, he's got, you know, he's got to work. He's got to pay bills. I think he was like taking care of his mom and he's probably starting a comedy late. And he's, he's, he's novice. starting like not from the same starting point as me, but I still think, and it's, it's, it sucks to start from that position. It's not fair. And, you know, but you can't, you can't, it's a, one of those things that's systemic and it's going to take so long to change. I think nah, man, that's a, see, I disagree. I yeah. agree. I agree in principle with what you're saying. That yeah. other comic is just a dickhead. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like he, yeah, sure. He would love to be in your position, but he's just not. And like what he's yeah. trying to do is fucking cut your shit out. Yeah. So that you could feel a ways about it. like that guy's just an asshole. But yeah, but, sure. Like, but at, with this shit, like, Maybe he's just funnier than you. Like Michael Che fucking started out from a really terrible position of like having to figure out a lot of different shit and he made it yeah. way he made it. He was an SNL then, like four years. Like I was, so like, yeah. you know, everybody got their own little silly little path, but like, yeah, you shouldn't, you should, I can't hold it against you that you got, That's, it's not your, it's not your fault not your that fault. you had a head right. start. Everyone's got different starting positions and that's just, it. nothing we did yeah, it's just the life, you know, where it would be fucked up is where that guy does what he does. He resents you. Yeah, because of your head start. Or it would also be fucked up if you rubbed it in his face that you had a head start. But I know you well enough. You don't do shit like that. And it's not oh. even a head start. It's just a little bit easier. Like life yeah. is in general, just fucking hard as it is. And like, yeah, I would love to have a head start. Like I'm trying to give a head start to my daughter. Like that's the point yeah. of life. That's like, the, I'm exactly not, right. I'm not going to tell my daughter, oh, I'm not going to give you these things because I want you to start at the same place that I right. started. For, like, that's just fucking crazy. How fucking ridiculous would that be? If like, oh, I, I, I started from nothing. I grew up great. So I'm going to put you in a shitty fucking project and I'm going to make you fucking live on your own when you're 13. Like, that's ridiculous. You want to give. Yeah, that's just that's just crazy. That that mindset, you know, yeah, I, it's bizarre. I, a lot of people that are just angry, but. Anyways, let's wrap up. So if you can go back in high school and change anything, is there anything you'd change? I probably would have went back to that first school after those two weeks. I wouldn't have changed peeing on the kid. <laughs> I, I just would have went back after the two weeks and took my medicine. I was like embarrassed. And I wasn't, it, was a new, it was a new experience for me to be embarrassed. And I just was like, I'd rather not deal with the shit when I go back. And you, I, left that a, you left that a pride kind of. Like, yeah, it was just like, yo, I didn't think yeah. I was wrong. And I wish I had an adult in my life to tell me, nah, you got to go back. What are you, stupid? This is a phenomenon. Like, they would, yeah. an adult should not have let me not go back. That's not a decision that a freshman in high school should make for themselves. That's where having an annoying guidance counselor would be. That's where helpful. I, yeah. But I genuinely and genuinely feel that my life is great. And I feel that every position puts you in a position to get to the point where you're at and um, if I had gone back to that school you know I wouldn't have met my daughter's mother therefore I wouldn't have had a, this daughter that I think is incredible and amazing and then that wouldn't have led to the life that I have now so it is what it is but yeah sure like if looking back I think I would have achieved a different level of success who knows uh, if I had yeah. said that's that's school bred senators and yeah. fucking, you know, like, yeah, that's that that was that type of school, you know, like fucking senators and diplomats and, you know, consulate nationalites were coming from that school. So do you know 
that kid who you peed on, do you know what they're doing right now? I do not, but I actually don't even think I would remember his name, but I know my roommate's name was James Deck, mm-hmm. D-E-C. And if, it would be amazing. if I've looked for him on like social media, but like I, I just wouldn't be able to tell you what he looked like. You know, yeah. like I, I need blonde hair. I would have to like, he would have to gift wrap it on like some social media profile. Like, oh, I went to this high school. But <laughs> I have no idea what happened to him after those first two weeks of school. Right. Yeah. Well, dude, I think you turned out great, man. I mean, you got a fucking good luck. You got a, you live in Tampa. The weather's great. You're traveling all over the country. You're doing shows with uh, celebrities. That's um, me. Yeah. You got a, you got a um, daughter. You got a, right now you're married to 20, 25, right? She's 25, your, your wife? Yeah. She's a little tiny baby. God damn, dude. She, yeah, she cares. She's more mature than me, dude. I feel like. Yeah, well, you're you're very immature, so yeah, it's not hard. My seventeen-year-old is probably more immature, more mature than you are. <laughs> All right, this was fun, wanna... man. I had a good time. Thank you so much. What, plug, do I get to plug stuff? Yeah, plug stuff right now. Let's do it. All right, I'm gonna be uh, March 11th through 13th at the St. Louis Funny Bone. Coincidentally, it's in St. Louis. And then the following weekend, uh, I believe the 19th and the 20th of March, I will be at the Des Moines Funny Bone in Iowa. Then I go to the Chicago Improv on April 1st. And you can see all of these things on my website, which is IamKennyGarcia.com. I am so jealous. Those are great fucking clubs, dude. You're going to have a great time. I'm very jealous. All right, guys. Not my my first time there either. Hey. Hey. All right, guys, thanks for listening. Thank you so much for having me, James. It was a lot of fun. Of course, brother.